News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC, the New Yorkers podcast from the newsroom by and for New Yorkers, the city. I'm Katie Honan, and Chrissy Greer is here with me too. Hi, Chrissy. Hello there. Harry is off today. So right now it is April 25th, and New York State does not yet have a budget. The state's lawmakers have until Friday to pass it after multiple extensions. As Politico reminded us in this morning's playbook, one incentive for them passing a budget is the fat raise they've been promised once it finally goes through. They also report that there is a tentative deal to boost the minimum wage to $17 an hour, although progressive labor activists want it to be $20 an hour. Hopefully by next week's episode, we'll have a state budget, which we can analyze next week if it actually comes through. Hmm. We'll see. And speaking of big bucks, Mayor Eric Adams took some jabs at President Joe Biden and the federal government for not giving New York enough money to deal with the thousands of migrants who have come to the city over the last year or so. The mayor said Biden's administration had abandoned the city and blamed the $4.2 billion budget shortfall on the migrant crisis. The mayor said, quote, actions or inaction can undermine our entire city. Everything we fought for is in jeopardy if we don't get this right, end quote. The mayor traveled to Washington, D.C. on Friday for a conference, but also to meet with federal officials, in part to ask for more support. But finally, there's some good money news. State Comptroller Tom DiNapoli released a report Tuesday that says the city's sales tax is up, boosted by tourism and commuters returning partially to their offices. The sales tax grew by 18.1% in the last three quarters, running through the end of February. And leisure and hospitality sales are expected to exceed pre-pandemic levels. What did we say last week? Be nice to the tourists, and if you got some money, go and spend it. So Katie, what could this mean as the city continues to work on its recovery from COVID and as the city gears up for a continued budget fight between the mayor and the city council? Yeah, I think um, looking at the money coming into the city, you know, looking specifically to the city budget, you have a real split between what Mayor Adams says about the city, which is we don't have a lot of money and we have to be, uh, we got to keep it tight in some of our agencies. We got to make cuts. We got to fix things. And the council's like, no, actually, we actually have more money than you say we do. Um, I've already seen council members tweeting out this report from Tom DiNapoli. Uh it's it is a split between the two of of who ha- is the city broke or is it actually fine? Mm-hmm. And obviously that sort of fight happens every year between the mayor and the council, and it's only just been um, heightened because of COVID and its recovery and and the pandemic's aftermath. And especially even looking at what we're spending money on, um, which you know we talked a little bit about last week and all that kind of stuff. What the city's spending on, what they're cutting, um, and what those priorities are. Yesterday, Speaker Adrian Adams introduced a new. Uh, mental health roadmap, uh, a bunch of bills to improve mental health services in the city. Um, Not every bill had a dollar sign attached to it, but there was, you know, about $80 million in proposals, whether it's um, to have more mental health respite centers for people experiencing a mental health crisis, more than doubling the number we have now, um, doing a better job of connecting people to services. So, yeah, so that is um, what we're looking at. And, you know, obviously we have to see what comes out in the state budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't been following that as closely, but, you know, you have weeks and weeks of delays in figuring out what's going to happen. I mean, I'd like to get your political science take on what <laughs> this means for Governor Hochul. You know, someone asked me what her budget win is or could be, and 
I'm not really sure. So I, I'd love to get your take as well. Yeah. Well, you know, I said when Ben was hosting, when you and Harry abandoned me um, and Ben came and, and saved me, um, I think Kathy Hochul, if she doesn't get it together, she'll be a one-term governor. Um, you know, I wish more New Yorkers paid attention to what's going on in Albany and, and so we could put more pressure on people to like redirect money. Um, I actually had two questions and a comment for you, Katie, because, oh, no. you know, as you know, the budget stuff, ugh, I don't know. I talk to my therapist about this all the time. I just don't like <laughs> thinking about money. You know, it's like, but I, we should, right? I mean, it's, we're talking about billions of dollars. So my comment always is, I can't believe we are defunding libraries at the extent that we are. I mean, the conversation about libraries possibly not being open on the weekends, you know, parents, just people in general, but like to say teenagers, I cannot fathom, like, Eric Adams, this is the antithesis of what you campaigned on. I'm devastated, furious. I like literally have a nosebleed just even thinking about it. That's one. My two questions are thus. One, how well does, I mean, you're in room nine, you're in City Hall. Do Eric Adams and Adrian Adams, no relation, do they have a, a productive working relationship? And can we get over this hump and come to some sort of compromise? And number two, what happened to Shirlene McRae's $850 million mental health? I'm not going to call it a boondoggle because that's not an appropriate question. What happened to her initiative that was geared towards mental health services? Are we continuing that? Has that completely been abandoned? Do we have any data to say that that worked? Like with these mental health initiatives that you just laid out, are they anywhere related or associated with the I'm going to put the word work in quotes of the former first lady. Yeah. I mean, I think, and there was a lot of reporting on this. I mean, there was a lot of reporting about Thrive, obviously, but some of it was comprehensive and looking at actually what the programs were and that dollar sign. And if you talk to people, it gets changed every time we talk to them. Um, critics of it, I mean, but a lot of Thrive was just existing programs that got kind of put under that umbrella. Okay. Um, and and one of the many criticisms of it was there really weren't metrics to be like, okay, this is this is a successful program because of this data. Um, and that was what it was, you know, and obviously Shirley McRae, the first lady being for all intents and purposes in charge of it, even though she's not a professional, um, that was also a criticism as well. So that I think, you know, when you talk to mental health advocates and people doing the work, whether they're social workers or, or anyone else, they always want more because the need is so great. And mm -hmm. I think obviously after COVID, the, the mental health crisis in New York City worsened. Um, whether it's isolation, lack of services, anything, you know, there's that that's there's data on that. So I think there's just a greater need for all of this. Um, and as for the Adamses, um, you no know, when clue. they're when they're together, they seem to be um they always remind us that they went to high school together. Um, yet, but neither can remember the other one there. Uh wait, didn't Buster Rhymes go to high school with like did he go to high school with Jay-Z? It's like, no. it's, it's another like interesting, so. weird Buster combo. Did Buster go to high school like, on Long Island? We're going to do a detour. I, I Didn't Buster Rhymes <laughs> go to high school on Long Island? Like This is just a window Alma? into my teaching style. Just, yeah. you know, when I'm like, let's talk about something serious. But Professor Greer has a random yeah. thought that has popped in her head. Yeah, he's from Uniondale. He went to Uniondale High School. I thought so they like, met in the lunchroom or something and had like a freestyle battle. I, I think you might be confusing people. We'll figure that out. Please, right. listeners, if you know, give us yeah. a call. Um, yeah, and I think the the challenge too, whether or not the speaker and the mayor are best friends or whatever, you have the council to 
to grapple with. And you have um, not as many progressive caucus members, but you have people who are just completely at odds with what the mayor is proposing, even his approach to mental health. You know, it, it came up a lot yesterday at the presser about the mental health initiatives, but um, not outright criticisms of the involuntary hospitalizations the mayor proposed, but people saying that we want to do a different approach. We want to actually spend more money on preventative care, not involving the police, not involving any kind of sort of law enforcement figure. Um, but yeah, you know, the mayor and the council always fights, fight. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to be fighting. If they're getting along, that's probably not good. Um, but I do believe the speaker has, in my opinion, has not. Uh, there's always, I think she's much more low-key than some of the former speakers who maybe, and I don't mean low-key in a bad way. You know, some people are, uh, they puff out their chests and they yell a lot on TV, but what are they really accomplishing behind the scenes? But I think mm -hmm. if Adrian Adams, she seems to have a more low-key style, but we would all love to see a little bit more, not yelling, you know, but some kind of aggression, <laughs> a little bit more aggression towards this. And I guess we'll see it mm -hmm. with these, if you guys, that's, they're fixing the steps outside City Hall. So that's where the jackhammering is. If you can oh, I can't, that. I can't even see. Oh, I don't know just, if people can. Just as a side note, I looked it up. Jay-Z, Busta Rhymes, Biggie, and DMX all attended George Westinghouse Career oh. and Technical Educational High School in downtown Brooklyn. Jay-Z and Busta even had a freestyle rap battle in the school lobby, and Jay-Z won, allegedly. Oh, my God. See, there we go. Wait. Okay. He also went to Samuel Tilden High School. Yeah. I think with we have the, with, I Wait. To, I went to two high schools. He, I guess he, three, because then Busta Rhymes graduated from Uniondale, but he also went to Tilden with... Special ad and chip fruit from uh, the true. We are the food. What we are the food. Schnicks. Okay, that's not listen, anyway. The crush I had on special ed was <laughs> inappropriate. <laughs> I, I have to ask, would Harry allow this? No, so we have to keep Harry would totally. Harry yeah, would be right. knee would've. deep in this. He's like, Well, you know, <laughs> this is my Harry. Oh, we miss Harry. Um, okay, so we've got the Adamses, you know. This is a question, since you are in Room 9 and you you spend so much time in City Hall with your colleagues, where does Jumani Williams fit into all this conversation? Because I feel like we don't, I mean, we, as, as New Yorkers, we sort of understand the role of the Speaker of City Council, right? We've talked about how Adrienne Adams is elected by her peers, not not the voters. You know, there's always this brouhaha about who will become Speaker and the... Well, she's elected the, by her... Constituents, and then she, her peers like, constituents, yeah. and then her peers. It's the fifty-one vote to decide the speaker, and it it has nothing to do with the voters. And so, I feel like we talk a lot about the tension between the Adamses or what they're doing. We don't talk a lot about the public advocate. Like, what is the role of the pub public advocate? Are they to agitate the mayor, or are they to advocate for the public? I think as the as a New Yorker, I'm still a touch confused. It says a lot, and this isn't personal to him, but it says a lot that you, and I have to say I too, still don't really quite have a handle on what that job's supposed to be, which could explain why some council members every so often try to introduce a bill where they're like, let's just get rid of this job. You know, yeah, it's it's agitation. It's, um, you know, maybe even looking at uh, what's going on in the city, like uh, protests, rallies, um, you know, but the they also are in a line of succession, as we saw when Bill de Blasio mm -hmm. ran for president. Um, 
as to like if something happens, you know, basically they the official I'll, I'll read it from from the website. The Office of the Public Advocate assists with complaints and inquiries involving government related services and regulations. Um, I guess that's it. Right. You know, I mean, it's sort of working on transparency and accountability in government, which is, I guess, what a reporter does, too, or like your community board district manager. But um, that's what the public advocate does. But yeah, you know, and I think we we have yet to see the big budget fights because that's going to happen. The mayor's executive budget is set to be released this week. We'll see what those are. You know, I know you've been focused on libraries, obviously, in terms of what those cuts could be. But there's going to be more cuts. And then, you know, this all plays out till the end of June when when the final budget has to be approved. But, um, you know, his role there, the public advocate, is just is, advo- is advocating publicly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I guess in this particular moment, I think uh, maybe we should just have Jumani on so we can ask. Yeah, he, specifically. He, he, he does. Um, Unlike some elected officials, he's always happy to come on. Um, listen, and Eric Adams has been very clear he's not coming on the podcast, um, but we're still going to extend an invitation anytime the mayor wants to come on to talk to all three of us. Katie Chrissy and Harry Siegel. He is more than welcome. Now, let's shift gears ever so slightly, Katie, because you took part in something on Saturday that um, I was unable to attend. Why? <laughs> and, and Friday. And Friday. Because I was utterly exhausted. But the inner circle. And so I'm, I am fascinated about these relationships between elected officials and also the press, as we sort of asked the mayor to come on to have long long-form conversations with us. But it is a, a wonderful night, A, to raise money, I believe, right, for a good cause. Yeah, no, yeah, they raised um, about thousands and thousands of dollars, I can confirm that, for, I believe it was three charities. Okay. And you all get to poke fun at elected officials and yourselves, and I saw one of your costumes that was exquisite, with lots of little rats hanging out. I was. Um, I was the rat. I made that my, I have to say, I, I was the rat's arena. It was a last-minute uh, role. And I said, I asked Andrew Siff, I said, Andrew Siff, what should I wear for costumes? My good friend, Lisa Colangelo, also does the costumes, along with Winnie Hu from the New York Times. But I said, what should the costume be? And he goes, I don't know, just dress like the rats are. But she just wears like a suit. So right. I said, I'm going to buy an old, a big Russian hat. The things you put on your shoulders, I don't know how to pronounce it, epaulets, epaulets, and a bunch of rats. That's right. Where does one buy rats? Amazon.com. I hate, you know, I don't like to use Amazon, but in this case, I needed it. But they sent me a um, vacuum sealed bag of rats. Um, And then I. Stuffed rats. Stuffed rats. Stuffed rats. I put one on my hat. I put one each on each shoulder. And then I had one and I drew a little slice of pizza that I pinned to it. Ugh. And I only only kept one rat. Shout out to Dodie Stewart, who had the, the. Pizza rat yes. uh, blouse when she came on FAQ many, many years ago. So can we zoom out 30,000 feet really quickly and just tell our listeners, most of our listeners probably know what the inner circle is, but some may not. Um, and I feel like I learned about the inner circle when I heard about Rudy Giuliani bringing his girlfriend like in front of the press. Like, I dare you to write about it. But tell us a little bit more about the night and the evening. And was Eric Adams in attendance? Yeah. Former mayors. Who else was there? So, you know, it's split up in two nights. Um, and in the inner circle, the name, the inner circle has been around f- since 1923. But even previously, there had been something called the Amen Players, where it was just the reporters doing a parody, right? Um, so it's a very historic, long tradition 
Um, this year's president, Alice Stockton Rossini, gave a little bit of the history, the very uh, sexist history of the inner circle where women weren't even allowed in the audience. Um, they weren't allowed on the floor of the ballroom. Um, I think it was John Lindsay's wife threw peanuts from the balcony to the people below. And the first two people who, first two women who were allowed on the actual list were Bella Abzug and Bess Meyerson. Um, but, you know, the Friday night show is... Bella Abzug, you mean um, Scott Stringer's aunt? Cousin. Cousin. Cousin, cousin. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's like it's Rudy, a- 9-11, Giuliani, Scott, Scott Bella Abzug's Bella Abzug's cousin. Cousin Stringer. <laughs> it's true um so yeah so it was fun this was my first year joining i was very low-key about it uh i don't know because i i don't know I've, I've never like performed like that other than karaoke or whatever um and it was fun i mean the friday night show i will say the audience is much more fun friday night it's the rehearsal the tickets are cheaper it's byob the people were much more engaged the saturday night show is lots of muckety mucks um we had we had curtis lewa we had two of his exes. We had Anthony Weiner and Huma Abedin together. We had David Patty. Patterson. Ugh. We had George Pataki. We had uh, a bunch of people that I don't even want to admit were there. But it was a good mix of people. You know, the tables are very expensive. The tickets are expensive. Mm-hmm. It is for a good cause. But, you know, I will say, like, the audience Friday was just way into it. Like, it took a while for the audience. I said, you know, when you have... I imagine it must be difficult for a politician to be in a room like that, surrounded by so many microphones, and not get on it. So I know it must be hard for them to be in the audience for once. <laughs> you literally need to like put them in a seatbelt so they yeah. don't like, run on stage. Like I just need five minutes. Yeah, to I, just, I, 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 I have something to say. Um, and the Saturday show always has the rebuttal from Mayor Adams, and like last year, he didn't. He wasn't there for Act One and Act Two. He didn't watch us make fun of him but he did do a very i thought it was very funny you can watch it on youtube he had two singers from the professional children's school perform a song from rent they were fantastic and then anthony rapp from the original production of rent came on stage to truly shock these girls invite them to his show it was very nice um keenan thompson did a parody i mean the video which is i would encourage people to watch it was very funny and making fun of the mayor it was good it was fun i was happy i mean that's the thing sometimes the mayor can make fun of himself and it's really charming and it's great, and that's what you want at a public official. And then sometimes it feels as though he's got thin skin and doesn't want to engage sort of in long-form dialogue. So that's yeah. kind of frustrating. But sticking with the mayor before I let you get out of here, um, the mayor went to D.C. this week. Um, and so we're seeing a, a teeny bit of tension between Joe Biden, who's just announced his re-election bid, and the mayor of New York City, who essentially went there uh not just with the tin can, the way he goes to Albany, but essentially to sort of flex and say, like, where is the money? You want these particular policies, um, but you're not giving us money. How big of a deal is it that a Democratic mayor of the the country's largest city went to D.C. and is, is essentially talking loudly and publicly about another Democrat who happens to be the president? No, I mean, I think it's... The mayor's frustrations over not having enough money, I think that's his biggest thing. And um, yeah, at the conference on Friday, he was, you know, it's weird. He kind of had split personalities where it's like, we are a sanctuary city and we are helping the migrants. You know, we just need a little bit more money, but we're happy to have these people. But then on Friday, he was just saying how, you know, this migrant crisis has like destroyed the city and that's why we can't have anything. And um 
you know, while at the same time asking the federal government for more money, asking them to change the work rules so they can actually get to work faster um, and being very critical of Joe Biden. I think, look, uh, I think who needs who? I think the the mayor still needs Joe Biden more than Joe Biden needs the mayor. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like um, in a Democratic majority city, Joe Biden needs to curry any kind of favor here. I mean, who knows? Maybe uh, maybe there's some behind the scenes conversations about this that are more cordial, but um, yeah, the mayor sees this migrant crisis as being hurt by the lack of federal money. And and that's kind of his biggest problem. Huh? I mean, or what he says is his biggest problem. Right. I think part of my frustration also is like the framing of calling it a crisis. I mean, we've always been a nation and a city of immigrants. So it's like, we got to figure this out. We've always been allegedly strapped for cash, which, you know, Let's look at the police budget. We're clearly not strapped for cash. Um, so we can figure this out. I just, I hate the framing of crisis as the word because that implies that the people are the problem. And it's, Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's complicated us, and it's, it's difficult to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So I guess that's that. I mean, next week, I do want to talk more about the Second Avenue subway situation because that just seems like a waste of money and time and a boondoggle. Um, but, you know, I do want to just shout out one of our listeners, Charlie Todd, um, who emailed me after, you remember I was talking about Bloom, Bloomberg and the, the tourist lanes? Oh, yeah. And he reminded me of, this was a something that he and his team put together. They had the Improv Everywhere project and they had this idea of the tourist lane. And so when it was brought up to the mayor, um, he sort of had a comment was like, um, wait, I forgot what his direct comment was. Um, you thought but, the sketch was so successful, you thought it was real. Say it again? Was the sketch so successful, you thought it was real? Well, sort of low-key. And so when they asked Mayor Bloomberg about it in a press conference, he said, very cute. You know, but I actually thought that, like, this was a real proposal um so it was actually part of charlie todd and the improv group's larger um activist artists you know sort of chalking of the streets um so it was pretty interesting to have a little chat with him um but they do some really interesting improv and political improv stuff that you all should check out um improv everywhere so yeah tell us a little bit more about some interviews coming up for faq nyc we are speaking with councilwoman Selvina brooks powers who's the council's majority whip and also the chair of the Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure to talk about uh, some of the bills coming down through the council to improve things, whether it's biking, perhaps everyone driving around New York City with a privacy screen on their license plate will get caught. Who knows? We'll talk through all of that. And um, we will, you know, hopefully hear some good stuff about what's happening. And maybe she'll give us a budget update from the council. Okay, Katie. Well, I'll leave it to you. Enjoy your interview. Thanks, Chrissy. How do New Yorkers get around? What are the many challenges in our streets, sidewalks, and bike lanes? This is a constant question for those of us trying to get to work, school, and live our lives around the biggest city in the country. Councilwoman Selvina Brooks-Powers is the council's majority whip, and her district includes a large stretch of Southeast Queens and parts of the Rockway Peninsula. Before her election in February 2021, she worked various jobs in government, for unions and elected officials. She's also the chair of the Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure, and on Monday, steered an oversight hearing on bikes, micromobility, and street enforcement. She joins us now to talk about the hearing, the bills that will be introduced by her and her colleagues, and other council matters, like her, bulls to, her, her bills to build more pools, and of course, the budget, which we'll 
get all the gossip from, hopefully. Selvina, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Katie. I'm excited to be a part of your podcast. Yeah. So, you know, I watched most of the hearing yesterday because it came in at around four hours. I watched it last night because I couldn't watch it live, which says a lot about me. Um, But, you know, I think the focus of it obviously was just these challenges that happen when you're trying to get around New York City and in a lot of ways get around New York City, not in a car. So for those who couldn't tune in, would you just want to recap, especially what you were trying to get across? We had uh, the DOT commissioner, Yodonis Rodriguez there. We had members of the NYPD. So if you just want to give a little bit of recap about what you were trying to get answered from these uh, commissioners and NYPD representatives, and I will say, spoiler, a lot of your ans- your questions went unanswered, but I guess that's a council hearing. Yes, that is unfortunate. A council hearing, we try to get answers, which is why I often ask for the testimony ahead of time so that we can really understand what they're coming with and be able to be more pointed with our questions. But Yesterday's hearing focused on a number of really great bills that my colleagues are carrying. Um, it was a, a range in uh, in terms of the type of bills, but we had bills that focused on bicycle mobility um, with respect to when cyclists are traveling, wanting yeah. to know, you know, if there's going to be construction impeding or obstructing their um, their route that they plan on taking. And we also had a bill that would establish a task force to allow the city to be able to stand up spaces exclusively for delivery workers to charge their electric devices, which is a really big deal in light of um, the fires that have been happening as a result of the batteries um, with the electric devices. Um, And as you know, the council has been really zeroing in on that to try and address those challenges. We also had a bill from council member Botcher that focused on the license plate, the ghost cars with the, you know, the fake license plates or obstructed license plates, which also has been something that has been um, of conversation for some time now. Um, And so ultimately the underlying focus of the, the hearing was one to really build on our conversation about equity and infrastructure, but also understanding that there is a role that is not being fulfilled to its fullest capacity, and that's enforcement. And so we wanted to have the NYPD there to have a conversation about what they're seeing, how they're enforcing, and also to hear the concerns of myself as well as my colleagues. You know, one thing when you when you mentioned enforcement, you know, there is a bill that would allow people, I guess, to report on trucks and cars in the bike lanes. But there's something you said that I thought was very I mean, this is this is how I often feel. You know, you said you you were concerned about a bill that quotes deputize civilians to adopt responsibilities of law enforcement that in some cases would result in conflict. Um, And I do think, you know, it should be up to the police to enforce that, because like you said, you know, someone catches, you know, Gersh Kunstman from Streets Blog was going around, uh, I think, hoping to get beat up, right? He's, he told this to me, I'm not, you know, <laughs> by by f- removing the, the leaves and the the weird plate covers on cars, but it, why should it be up to, you know, and even a council member Botcher said this during the hearing, you know, a lot of times it's cars and police precincts that have these, whatever, I call it a privacy screen uh, on a, on a, 
plate. So I, I don't know what you were kind of, um, I know when you talk about this legislative process, you, you work with your council members. I don't know if you've expressed those concerns and is it sort of just this hope that even just giving more eyes on the street, see something, say something as it extends to this and what it could mean? No, and thank you for that question. When it comes to transportation infrastructure, I talk to everybody, right? Um, I, I don't feel like I've cornered the market on this space, and there's a lot for me to learn, as well as those who are introducing legislation through the conversations that we have that we can really sharpen um, the, the laws we're looking to put into effect. When we think about addressing an issue in terms of street safety for cyclists, we all share that as a common goal. I think we have a different path to it. And so, you know, I'm open to exploring what those can be. So as you saw, the MTA came yesterday and they testified about ABLE, which has been a pretty effective program. Um, and that 80% of those who have been ticketed do not get they do not receive a second ticket as a result. And I think that's really good statistics um, that show that it's a proven successful program. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to exploring that more now that the state has given them more, more scope in, um, in what that program can entail. So it's not just bus lanes, but also bus stops. Mm. And that covers about 80% of the city. And so that's something I think is safer and also will help get us to the end goal that I think we all share. I, I will note, I know even the NYPD's Director of Legislative Affairs is also opposed to that bill, I guess, for the same reasons you might be because of their own traffic enforcement agents are threatened and sometimes they're assaulted. I was about to say, one of my neighbors, um, well, she moved now, but one of my former neighbors, she was a traffic agent. And I, I used to hear horror stories all of the time. And again, just civilian to civilian dispute that happen right now without people trying to enforce anything, we see it happening. So it's not as if we're saying it could happen. It happens now. And so by now deputizing civilians to do this work, I think the first thing is first, we need to hold NYPD accountable. They need to do their jobs. They're getting paid taxpayer dollars to do a job and they need to do that. That's first. Second, we should look at what technologies exist like ABLE that could be able to address this. It, it, it's so interesting that when you talk about speed cameras, everyone is on board and supportive of that. And, um, you know, in terms of this automated system that the MTA has, I think that's something that we should really explore. And let's, you know, also talk about cycling, which, you know, just some stats from yesterday's hearing. Um, between 2008 and 2019, the number of cyclists in New York City increased by 119%. Um, even city bikes annual numbers, obviously, the program expanded. But in fiscal year 2014, there were... 92,000 members, and now in fiscal year 2022, 230,000. Um, you know, 880,000 regularly ride a bike every single month, uh, several times each month. Um, you know, but obviously the, the concern is there's 1,500 bike lane miles across New York City and 624 are protected. I know you asked Commissioner Rodriguez if their goal is to meet 50 miles of protected bike lanes. You said if it's going to happen. I think he said it's still the goal. 
which is why I, when, what I say when I don't know if I'm going to finish something. Um, so if you want to talk a little bit about some of the initiatives coming from the council to, you know, expand um, cycling safety, cycling opportunities, whether it's city bike expansion. I know you were asking about your district as well. I guess it'll take a while to get down to you. Um, and also, you know, then if you want to talk about the Dykeless bike share, because I too love the line bikes in Rockaway and I truly miss you that remember them. Yes, I love it's, it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a lot to unpack. But so in terms of <clears throat> cycling in New York City after COVID, like during COVID, it exploded, quite honestly. A lot more people wanted to get fresh air. Um, we have a lot of density in the city. Not everyone is fortunate to to have an amazing beach like we do in Rockaway. <laughs> and, you know, people took to their bikes. Um as well as getting to work. A lot of people at the time did not trust um, the cleanliness, the safety of the, the the trains and the buses and chose to go on, on bicycles. Some people have returned. And I think, you know, we've seen as it was shared in the hearing that it plateaued at some point. So some people may have returned to work to regular modes of transportation. Some people may have gotten back in their cars or some people may just now work from home. But we are starting to see, based on the data that they shared in the hearing, an increase again happening. And so we want to make sure that when when people decide to take to their bikes, that they can be safe. Right. My husband rode his bike uh, a few months ago in the city and came back with a whole bunch of bruises all over him. And that's because our we there's much more work in terms of the infrastructure of our bike network that is is definitely needed. And so we wanted to understand what the Department of Transportation's plans are in meeting these goals, um, as well as making up for the, the goal that has not been made to date. Because we all recognize, whether it be DOT or the council, that this is a a, a growing community, and we want to make sure that safety is is there front and center as well. And in terms of the access, that's extremely important to me. Um, I represent a, a, a district that is a transit desert, and we saw when Lyme came to Rockaway how successful it was. So placing a bike share program in places like Rockaway or in central Brooklyn or southern Brooklyn, rather, you would have people that would absolutely use these bicycles. There are times where I see city bikes on the boardwalk. <laughs> I see right? that, too. And I don't know how. I mean, that's a. I mean, I, I'm always wondering how that happened, but. Right. So people are riding to where they want to go, where they need to go. And so I think it's unfortunate that the programs have been focused in transit rich communities versus starting in the transit deserts, especially when we are looking to have a more equitable New York City. Is To me, what that program says is that we are doing all in the same what we've done for generations in New York City. And and that's not the type of transportation network I think that New Yorkers need right now or deserve. We deserve one that 
reaches those communities that do not have access so that they can connect to better jobs, to better schools, um, to some of our cultural institutions to be able to visit. We deserve that as well. And so um, that that is a big focus for me. And so I want to explore how we get to those communities much quicker. And as you know, I've been doing the tours across New York City to all of the council districts. I think I have about like eight left. Um, what are those eight ones? What are the eight? I don't know. Was there something? Was there a strategy behind how really, you went? It's really been um, based on schedules and yeah. what it's going to be like if. I have a meeting or an event that's going to be in Manhattan. I'm looking at which members are around there and if our schedules could align. So it was no real rhyme to reason in terms of the order, with the exception of the speaker, because she wanted to be my last one (laughs) um, so that it could be like a nice ending to it. But aside from that, it's just really been about schedules. Like all of the members are busy and it's just trying to plug in. I've been really appreciative and thankful that they've spent time with me in their district um, and introduced me to people in their communities to hear their concerns from the ground. So that, you know, I, I for me, it's just really been an educational experience. Uh, you know, I can now talk about transportation and infrastructure very differently than I did a year ago with the knowledge I had at that point. And in different communities, it's different priorities. And one community we may focus on buses, some we may focus on bikes, like in Councilmember Restless District, we rode the the bikes through his district and um, checked out a lot of different things, including the cantilever over the BQE, which is a big priority for him. Um, we went to Staten Island. We talked about the ferry. We and I learned that they had a train. <laughs> you fact. didn't know? <laughs> Fun fact: I did not know they had a train there because every time. I would go to Staten Island. It would normally be by ferry or by car. And so I got to to visit it. I feel like their stations need a little bit of love, but I'm excited. So, you know, on the relationship that I'm building with the MTA and I'm excited about what the future holds, despite their financial situation right now in terms of the things that we can accomplish together. You know, one, I'll ask you about the NYPD and as I spoke and I guess your honest assessment, I mean, do you feel, did you feel encouraged that they can actually follow through with enforcement, whether it's paper plates, the fraud, you know, the fraud plates, placard abuse, uh, a plate that's been half rubbed off or whatever. I mean, I think for a lot of people and maybe even some of our listeners, it it can feel disheartening because there have been so many different initiatives. The mayor tried to fix placard abuse. Uh, I'm sorry, by the mayor, I mean de Blasio. That's how long ago. Um I don't know if you felt that they were actually taking it seriously, because I think that is always the criticism of the lack of enforcement on the part of the NYPD when it comes to these fake plates and and what can happen because of it. No, and I mean, I understand where folks would feel disheartened. It's my hope that through the hearing and through engaging with the council, they understand that this is a priority at some point. This may not have been a priority, just like when you think about trucking. Trucking wasn't really a big deal in terms of trying to get them off of the roads or enforcing where they should park and not park. But because the council made it a priority and people in the community made it a priority under this administration, they created a task force to to deal with that, which has begun to clean up the trucks off of our streets, which has made 
a night and day difference in communities like mine. So it is my hope that they recognize that this is a priority. It's not going away and do their job, quite honestly. And I plan as chair working alongside my colleague, Councilmember Hanks, who is the chair for the Committee on Public Safety, to make sure that we are holding them accountable. And this is not a new issue. I read an article recently that spoke about this issue during the days of Koch and some of what they did to address um, placard abuse where there were only three types of plats. And maybe we need to explore going back to that. And um, and the understanding in terms of the ticketing of officers and, and being punitive with that. And we should look at what, what that would look like to push the officers to do the job that they are supposed to be doing. And so I don't think that they get to get a pass when they get paid to do this. We just have to make sure that we are holding them accountable. And one more question on, on the hearing, and then we'll go to pools and swimming in the budget very quickly. But I know there was an also talk of lessening the amount of time required, and especially for this community input when it comes to some of this bike infrastructure and, and where it comes in the community board. As someone who's covered hours of my life spent covering community board meetings, and a lot of times, you know, I mean, the Queens Boulevard bike lane, the 111th Street bike lane, this was pretty um, soap opera level drama uh, of, of these meetings. So I wanted to get your take on, you know, like we recognize that there there is a need for this community input, but I guess where it's coming from and, and who it's coming from. So I would like to get your take on that input and that sort of listening section. Absolutely. So I've been listening to both sides on this because the reality is we need more bike infrastructure because we've acknowledged that there's an increase in um, people using bikes to get around New York City. But at the same time, DOT has an awful reputation in communities and how they do their community engagement. And because of the lack of trust with that agency, it has made it hard for policies or legislation such as this one to be able to move forward without opposition. And there were folks that were signed on that had to come off because of the length of the hearing that really wanted to, to speak about this bill that have submitted testimony in writing that have concerns, um, especially over the summer months when the community boards don't meet fear that the Department of Transportation may ram through projects that the community may not want uh, in a particular location. Because another piece of it is there's a, a narrative being said that communities don't want bike lanes or communities don't want bus lanes, but communities want to have input in where these assets are going and not being told because not all the time it matches up with what the community would like to see. So when you think about Seagirt Boulevard, there was a lot of community engagement over that. DOT decided to still push forward with that. I even almost got in an accident at nighttime because there's no signage there. They created these new parking spaces that's more out to do the road diet. Um, the way they did the bike lane is confusing. And I get videos often from people who live along Seagirt of people almost getting into accidents. It's a matter of time before one happens. And at the same time, there's a bike lane parallel on the boardwalk, which is right there. 
And so the community is like, wouldn't it be better to put it somewhere else? as opposed to right here, or maybe yeah. put it along the median, but there, there's input that they want to give. Um, and then you have someone who is making this determination from downtown. And, and they don't mean downtown they don't, far Rockaway. Right. They don't mean downtown far Rockaway, making a decision for a community that they may have never seen or understand what, what that dynamic is. And so that has been the main challenge of this bill. Um, so I'm not necessarily in opposition of the bill, but I do think that there are issues in that bill that have to be addressed to make it work. Because what we don't want to do is to continue to allow the Department of Transportation to do whatever they want in, in the communities, knowing that they don't always work for the people who live in that neighborhood. Yeah. Two final things. The first, um, why don't you talk a little bit about your bill to create pool equity, right? To to provide swimming lessons. Obviously, part of your district is a beach, and mm-hmm. this is something that we've talked a lot about. I've done a lot of reporting on, you know, the lack of opportunities and to learn how to swim, places to swim, and then how it can kind of create a domino effect. So talk about that, um, about what you have coming no, absolutely. So I'm really excited about this bill. If you can't tell by the smile on my face. If mm-hmm. you're listeners, you probably can hear it. <laughs> and that's because we're finally taking on this issue where there's such great inequity and and having a community that's coastal where we're literally surrounded by water. We have the Atlantic Ocean on one side and Jamaica Bay on the other. It's important that New Yorkers are able to protect themselves when they're in our waters. And, you know, having access to swim education is very important and can prove to be life or death. I think back to when um, the two children cut school last year and um, they were in Jamaica Bay, along Jamaica Bay, and didn't realize it was a drop off and drowned. And so that hit me very hard, Um, especially as a mom. You know, I just get really terrified when I hear about drowning, especially drowning of kids and just thinking about them not being able to do anything in that moment. And so I think it's really important that we are opening up greater access to learning how to swim and to be able to learn how to swim, you have to have some place to swim. And so, um, you know, this bill does three things. It works with DOE to be able to open up their pools for the public, not during school hours, obviously. Um, It looks at the city's assets to see where we could get pools in communities that um, are underserved. And it also calls for the, educa- the the access to to free swim lessons for children and adults. And so this is something that I think can be transformative in communities. There are about 18 council districts that do not have a parks department pool within their uh, district. Mine is one of them. And so I, I just think that this is a beginning to really changing the wave, changing the tide um, on this conversation. And I'm really excited about it and the support that it's been getting. The, the speaker is committed to it. She mentioned it in her state of the city address, 
Um, and the mayor has also showed his commitment where he invested, I think it was about 50 or $55 million with Roy Wilkins for their pool. Mm-hmm. Heard the line um, at Roy Wilkins for the pool is normally very long. And, <laughs> you know, because if you build, they'll come. That's always been my motto. And a final question, speaking of rough waters ahead, do you want to give the listeners a little preview of this budget? You know, I know the mayor's executive budget is supposed to come out and what those yeah. continued behind closed doors conversations. We see you going, we see everyone going in the little room and the security's <laughs> out so we can't eavesdrop. But if you want to give a little tease of how it's going and how you predict it'll go over the next few months and weeks. Look, the reality is, you know, we are bracing for a difficult budget. Right now, we expect the executive budget to be released any day now. The state still has not passed their budget. So there are going to be a lot of unanswered um, questions in this budget because, again, we don't know what the state's contributions will be and how it will impact the city's budget. We also know that we have a number of what I say crises going on right now. We have the asylum seeker crisis. We have... um, you know, the the contracts that are being negotiated, DC 37, NYPD recently were able to get um, their contracts um, resolved and all of that has impact on the budget. And so right now we are bracing for a difficult budget. And, and so that's where we are essentially. All right. Well, I guess that's all the preview we will get on. <laughs> Uh, Sylvina Brooks-Powers, thank you for coming on the pod. Uh, thank you for talking about these important initiatives. Uh, I'll see you at City Hall. I'll see you on the boardwalk this summer, hopefully. Yes. And we'll all stay tuned for all these stuff uh, in the next couple of weeks. It should be very, very interesting, as I say. Or we shall see, as I always end something when I don't know what's going to happen. So thank you. Thanks, Katie. This has been great, and I will see you soon. F-A-Q. This has been FAQ NYC. We're part of The City, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard-hitting reporting that serves the people of New York. Our work is freely available to everyone at thecity.nyc and is supported by listeners and readers like you. Go to thecity.nyc slash give if you'd like to pitch in. We're an affiliate of NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research and a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of independent journalists, critics, and artists. Find it all at popula.com. Our hosts for this episode were me, Chrissy Greer, and Katie Honan. Harry Siegel's our executive producer. I want to thank City Council member Sylvina Brooks-Powers for joining us. And Adam Kamara is our engineer. Thank you, listener, for joining us and making it this far. Be kind, be cool, be warm, be well. And we'll be back with more soon. <laughs>